Happy Easter to you. He's risen. You got it. I, I, the irony here wasn't lost on me. I went to go fill my water cup up, and I saw this sign here, and it says, Worship that way, but the happy room's over there. Yeah, the irony wasn't lost on me. We can be happy. We can be happy when our Savior went to the cross because he didn't stay dead. He's, he's risen. He's risen indeed. That's been our creed. That has been our creed for 2,000 years. Let me show you something. This dates back within just weeks of Jesus' death. People were saying things like this. This is from a fisherman, of all people. He was saying this. He said, God raised Jesus. This is recorded in what we now call Acts 2.32. God raised Jesus, and we're witnesses. We saw this. We saw him die, and then we saw him after he was dead. Now, there are certainly people who don't believe this. And, uh, and I saw another example of that on Friday. On Friday, I was going through the news. I was sitting down at her kitchen table, and I was, had my computer open, and I was looking at the news. And there was a story, maybe some of you saw it, um, of uh, a sign, a little display that went up at the Wisconsin State Capitol. And here's what it said on the sign. It said, nobody died for our sins. Jesus Christ is a myth. That's what the sign said. And when I saw that news clip, I brought my girls in. I said, girls, come here. I said, girls, here's, here's what one of the signs was saying. Someone put this sign up, and there's a lot of people that believe that. But let me show you something else. And I went to another news site, USA Today. You can look it up yourself. There was a, there was a photo slideshow. This was on Good Friday. And they had a photo slideshow from people all over the world who on Friday were commemorating Jesus of Nazareth. And here are just some of the countries that I, that I saw. Philippines, Indonesia, India, Middle East, Poland, Germany, Serbia, Greece, Bulgaria, England, Spain. And in these photos, there were men and women, there were young and old, and all of them were gathering on Friday to honor Jesus of Nazareth and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And now today, millions more are gathering and we're not gathering to commemorate the death. Today we're commemorating something that just seems crazy. It seemed crazy back then. It seems crazy to our modern minds. We're commemorating that he's risen. He is risen indeed. Some say he was a myth. Why do we believe that the people back then believed that there was an empty tomb? Why do we believe that they believed the tomb was empty? May I present to you for your consideration today, something happened. You may not be able to embrace all of the things we say today. I, I completely understand that. But I hope you're at least open to the idea something happened 2,000 years ago. Something that sent shockwaves throughout the world. And a man named Luke promised to check this out. And this is what we've been looking at for the last six weeks. We've been looking at the, the writings of a man named Luke. And he is a first century or was a first century physician who promised to provide an orderly account of the events that had everyone talking. He made a promise. He said, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to give you a report. Now, we have a number of kids in here today. Kids, I need you to help me with something. Is it important to keep our promises? Yes. Parents wishes they would have said that louder, right? <laughs> but yes, it's important to keep our promises. Um, let me illustrate this. 
There's a little ice cream shop just down the road called the Village Scoop. Anyone ever been to the Village Scoop? All right, great little shop. They got ice cream, they got candy. It's a great little place. Now, I promise you that in these three envelopes, each one of these envelopes, I've got a gift card. Each one of these has a gift card for the Village Scoop. Does anyone believe me that I, I, I would keep my promise? Anyone? Okay, there's a first hand. Kata, thanks for bailing me out. All right. Well, there you go. Check it out and see if I kept my promise. Anyone else? You want to? Okay. All right. You believe me and you believe me. All right. Great. In the first service, only one person believed me until the first person opened it up. And then, oh, I believe you. Is, is there a gift card in there? Is there a gift card in there? Is there a gift card in there? You just go ahead and rip it open because it's yours to keep. Is there a gift card? There's one. All right. I said there'd be three. Two. Is there one more? And come on, Aaron. Here it is. Three. Three for three. All right. Well, we're going to see if we can go three for three. Because we're going to talk about three promises today. It's important to keep your promises. And we're going to look at a promise that Luke made. We're going to look at a promise that Jesus made. And we're going to look at a promise that God made. And at the center of all these promises, I present to you there's an empty tomb. At the center of every one of these promises. All right, let's start with Luke. Luke promised to tell the truth about Jesus. Now, one of the things, if someone's telling you something, it helps if other people are saying the same thing. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the truth. But it helps if people collaborate, you know, and say, yep, I, I believe this too. Sometimes that helps. Now, on a way back from a trip recently, I, I found a magazine in the newsstand. I mentioned this in the series earlier. It's a, it's a National Geographic. And on the cover, they've got Jesus and the apostles. And they're talking about the early rise of Christianity. Now, they make the point in this, in this uh, magazine that if there's collaborating evidence, and they specifically talk about what are called the Gospels, we, call, we know them today as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They say if these four different documents by four different authors, if they all say the same thing, then that suggests strongly that something probably happened. This is, I'm reading this word for word. We'll put it up on the screen. This is out of National Geographic. Uh, page 33 of this issue says, Diverse as they may be in the other ways, the New Testament Gospels agree on one common episode in the life of Jesus which strongly suggests a grounding in historical truth. Jesus' rampage in the temple was surely meant to shake things up. Again, their point is, hey, there's four different sources. They're diverse. They all agree on this. That strongly suggests this probably happened. Seems to me there's another something that they all agree on, all four of those gospel sources. They all agree on an empty tomb. In fact, if you go to Luke's account, in Luke, this thing they're talking about here, this episode in the temple, Luke gives that all of two verses, that temple incident. Luke and all the others say so much about Easter week that you could make a case that the Gospels are really Easter narratives with extended introductions. It's, there's so much more devoted to this idea of the empty tomb. All four Gospels testify to the fact that he is risen. Risen indeed. Now, in, in Luke, as I said, it just gave that four or two little short verses. And then we've got all this other testimony within what we now call the scriptures. But what I want to do today is I want to show you some things outside of the scriptures. In fact, some sources that were, were hostile or, or in denial of the things that, that we would profess. Let me show you one from a guy named Josephus. Josephus wasn't a professing Christian, as we would define a professing Christian. He was a Jewish revolutionary who became a Roman historian. 
These are the words of Josephus. You don't find these in the Bible, but look at how this testimony collaborates the testimony we're going to be looking at here in a little bit. This is uh, words of Josephus. He writes this. At the time of Pilate, there was a wise man called Jesus. His conduct was good. He was known to be virtuous. Many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. Look at what Josephus writes. They reported that he appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was what? Alive. Josephus says that they said this guy was alive. Something happened. Something happened in Jerusalem. In the very same city where Jesus was crucified and buried, people all saw this. Romans were very public when they did a crucifixion. Romans all, everybody sees this. And yet, here you've got thousands of diverse people. Fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, Pharisees, Roman centurions, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, young and old. They're all saying, he didn't stay dead. The tomb was empty. Now, I'm a naturally skeptical person. I love hard evidence. Here's something that I, I came across um, as I was prepping for this week. Listen to this. In 1878, archaeologists uncovered a marble slab in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was so far off the grid that when you read the Bible, people in the Bible made fun of Nazareth. All right? You may have heard of it because now the Bible made it popular. Before the Bible put it on the map, people in Bible times... Nazareth, nothing comes out of Nazareth, right? Okay, so Nazareth, Nazareth is nowhere. They found this marble slab that was, was in the middle of nowhere. Now, this marble slab was a decree from Rome. It had an inscription on it. The inscription was a decree from Rome. When they date this marble slab, they date it either to the time of the emperor Tiberius or the emperor Claudius, both of whom served right around the time of Jesus' death. You know what was on that slab? The slab changed messing with the tomb from a fine to the death penalty. I find that interesting. What could possibly compel a Roman emperor to issue that specific edict at that specific time in Nazareth, of all places? May I offer for your consideration something happened and that something centered around a tomb. I remember my best friend when he went off to college. He went off to college and he took religion classes at this college and the religion classes told him empty tomb doesn't even matter. What really matters is whether he was resurrected in the hearts of, of people. And he came back, he's saying, you know what? What really matters what really matters when it comes to Jesus was his example, example of a suffering servant. Let me offer you an alternative view with a little help from C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. Not just because his initials are C.S. That's just a bonus. Um, his, here's what C.S. Lewis says, and I wrote this one in your notes. He says this, nothing could be more unhistorical. You want to be historical? You want to get your facts right? You want to say, I don't want myth Jesus. I want historical Jesus. All right. You want to be historical. There's nothing more unhistorical than to pick out selected sayings of Christ from the Gospels and then to record those, the ones that you like, as datum and the rest of the New Testament as a construction 
upon it. In other words, you can't cherry-pick history. You can't just say, oh, this was true and this wasn't true and the rest of it was made up around it. You can't just do that. You have to treat it, each document, each witness, each account, you have to take it for what it says. You have to bring everything to bear on it. May I present to you, Luke's narrative rises and falls on whether or not the empty tomb actually happened. If the empty tomb didn't actually happen, throw out everything else he says. And you can't do that because he got too many other facts right. Look what else C.S. Lewis says. He says this, this love this insight. The resurrection and its consequences, they were the gospel. Today we call these four documents the gospels. The gospel was the empty tomb and all that represents. Here's what he says. But the resurrection and its consequences were the gospel or the good news. What we call the gospels were composed later for the benefit of those who had already accepted the gospel. The miracle of the resurrection comes first. The biographies came later. Christianity is different from so many religions. Christianity isn't about just beliefs. Christianity is grounded in events, things that happened. Christianity at its core comes down to one creed. He is risen. He is The historical Jesus wasn't just another teacher. The historical Jesus wasn't just an inspirational do-gooder. The historical Jesus was said to have conquered death and conquered the grave. At least that's what Luke testifies to and others who collaborate his accounts. Um, For those of you who were here Friday, we were looking at Luke chapter 23. And I said, we're going to get to chapter 24. Today we get to chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, let's open up. Luke chapter 24. This is where Luke testifies to the resurrection, to the empty tomb. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up. Luke chapter 24. Here is the Easter account as Luke presents it. I want to let you know, too, as we're opening up our Bibles, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free. We keep a stack of them every week there at the table on that side and at that side. They're here for you. So we'd encourage you to take one. It's a gift. Um, You don't have to put it back when you're done. Um, We would encourage you to to take it home and, and read it. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 24. Let's go verses 1 through 3. Because I especially want to show you something that Brian Heyer pointed out to me about well, several weeks ago. Luke writes, On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, they meaning the women, these women followers of Jesus. They went to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared. And when they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. All right. Here's what I had missed a whole lot of years. What what does Luke call Jesus in this passage? He calls him the Lord Jesus. Here's what Brian pointed out to me. He said, Chris, why don't you go back and look. When when Luke uses Lord and Jesus, look look at how he does that before this point. So, So I did. I looked at everyone I could find. Before this point, Luke is serving as a narrator. He's serving as a narrator. And the only time he uses Lord and Jesus together is when someone says Lord to Jesus. And he just reports it, you know, for what it was. This person considered him Lord. They said, Jesus, Lord. Up until this point, that's what Luke does. And now, when there's an empty tomb, Luke puts his own little commentary in here for the first time in this way. And Luke himself calls Jesus Lord 
Jesus. It's, it's Luke employing a subtlety that shouts to those with ears to hear. It's like Luke is saying, hey, you, person reading this, I believe this happened too. That's what Luke did. So there's Luke. There's his promise. I said we're going to look at three promises. We just looked at Luke's promise. Let's move on to the second promise. I want to present to you that if Luke kept his promise, so did Jesus of Nazareth. If Luke kept his promise, so did Jesus. Let's pick up in where we left off in Luke's Easter account, continuing on with verse 4. While the women were perplexed about this whole empty tomb thing, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened, and they bowed with their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. They remembered his words. They had heard these words before. Jesus, before he died, said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise again. Jesus kept his promise. And he went on to explain this more as this whole thing is unfolding here for these people. If Luke provided an accurate account of the things that Jesus said and did, then Jesus kept his promise too. And then Jesus went on to explain this. It's not just me keeping my promise. God kept his promise. Jumping ahead to verse 25, as Jesus is unpacking this, now he, he's risen from the dead. We find this account only recorded in Luke. He's with these two followers of Jesus. And Jesus says to the two followers, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Here's what this means. This was all in the Bible all along. I love this little book called the Jesus Storybook Bible because it does this great job of showing Jesus all the way along. He was there. All of these events pointing to this day. This, this isn't just Jesus keeping his promise. This is, if Jesus of Nazareth kept his promise, so did the God of Israel. God had planned this all along. If Jesus of Nazareth kept his promise, so did the God of Israel. Because God had promised, I'm going to send my chosen one. And that's what we've been looking at for the last six weeks. Luke has been laying all this out. Jesus is the one. He's the one. He's God's anointed one who proclaims the good news to the poor and the oppressed. He is the rescuer. He came to seek and save the lost. He's the great physician. He, he, can't, he won't only just heal your body, he can heal your soul. He is the one who can baptize with the Holy Spirit. And every Easter, rocks are crying out literally in the form of a displaced stone and an empty tomb that he's risen. He is risen indeed. God did it. He kept his promise. He brought beauty from ashes. Sin's curse has been broken. Death has been defeated. A broken relationship with God can be restored. Hey, we can start over. We can start over. Just as God promised. Now that kind of talk that I'm just doing right now, that kind of talk might get you an amen in church. That kind of talk won't get you an A in your freshman philosophy class. Most college professors in most universities, they don't like historical Jesus. 
They like myth Jesus a whole lot better. Let me give you an example of what we're talking about. This National Geographic magazine I've been quoting, this is the kind of talk. This, this thesis right here, this will get you an A in most colleges around the country in a philosophy class. It may be in the end that the Jesus of history isn't what matters most. It's what we believe about him that counts. That line of reasoning doesn't make any sense to me. When I think about history, when you look at the situation, you look at all, you examine all the evidence, this line of reasoning doesn't make any sense to me. Dead Jesus never would have made it out of the first century. With all that that movement faced from the Romans, from the Jews, dead Jesus, we would have never heard of dead Jesus. You know? We would have never heard of, I liked his sermons, we'll miss him, Jesus. We never would have heard about him. When Luke interviewed people, when Luke interviewed people, and they testified, they said, the tomb is empty. It wasn't their GPA on the line. It was their life on the line. This guy says it really well. He, he says this, it doesn't make sense. It, why would the disciples, why would the disciples embark on such a self defeating conspiracy. Why would every one of them continue to say Jesus had risen from the dead when they could have saved themselves by recanting their testimony? Why? Why would people say he's risen? Right in the area where people could say, let me walk you down to the tomb and show you that he's not risen. Why would they say these things, especially in the face of persecution, if they weren't true? Now, I know in our culture, I know in our culture, we're pressured because myth Jesus sounds so much more intellectual. Myth Jesus is much more this, that, and the other thing. But there's a problem with the myth Jesus position, and the problem is history. Almost, let me give you an example. This, I'm going to show you something from a historical document. This is what history says. This is from a historical document that can be dated between the years 53 and 55 A.D., and it comes from a guy named Paul. Now, you might be thinking, oh, Paul, here you go. You're quoting a religious source. Let me tell you this. Everyone, religious, not religious, everyone agrees with historical Paul. I don't know any serious scholar, any serious historian anywhere who disagrees that there was a historical Paul. And almost all of them, even the harshest critics, most of them say he wrote this first century letter that's included in our Bible. So we've got historical Paul, we've got historical letter. Here's what historical Paul says in historical letter. And, and let me, as you're seeing this, hearing this, ask yourself, does this sound like a guy who believes in dead Jesus? Here's what Paul writes. If Christ has not been raised, your preaching's in vain. Our preaching's in vain. And your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope for this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. Does this sound like an advocate for believe whatever you want to believe about him, Jesus? It doesn't sound like an advocate for someone who believes in dead Jesus. And here's the thing. There were other Jews that claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus wasn't the only Jew that claimed to be the Messiah. What about Jesus convinced this guy? Paul. Paul used to be a Pharisee. Paul was the leading persecutor of the Jesus movement. Historical Paul. 
What caused historical Paul to become the greatest evangelist for Jesus of Nazareth? How does myth Jesus account for historical Paul? Myth Jesus can't explain that transformation, nor can myth Jesus explain the dozens of transformed lives that became hundreds of transformed lives, that became thousands of transformed lives, that became millions of transformed lives, that ultimately became billions of people that right now profess a faith in Jesus of Nazareth. Again, I get it. I get it if you can't make all the leaps that we're making here today. But can we at least agree something happened? Something happened 2,000 years ago. Something huge. Let me give you another quote. This is out of that National Geographic magazine, the one that said the history of Jesus doesn't matter. So this is not a source that is saying, this isn't one of my commentaries. This isn't one of my Christian friends saying this. This is National Geographic saying this. I'm going to read it. Here we go. Word for word. Pop it up on the screens. Around that time, and the time they're talking about is the time following the, resur- the, the death, resurrection of, of Jesus and this, what we refer to as Pentecost. Around that time, the fugitive disciples of Jesus seem to have completely lost their fear. In public, they reported seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead. They began preaching openly about Jesus as the risen Christ, which for a Jew is tantamount to blasphemy. When accused by the Romans, they stood their ground. When convicted, one after another, of those who claimed to have witnessed the risen Jesus went to their own gruesome deaths, refusing to recant their testimony. It was this fervor that transformed a tiny Jewish sect into the largest religion in the world. Listen to this. By the end of the 4th century, the movement that began with small groups meeting in secret had become the official religion of the Roman Empire. Oh, and it gets better. Their ranks would grow to include Constantine I, emperor of Rome, who dispatched a delegation led by his mama to find and consecrate the ground where the Jesus of history had walked and taught and suffered and died. Okay. There was a Roman emperor who said, I am the son of God. Why didn't Constantine consecrate that ground? What turned the entire world upside down to the point where Constantine, a Roman emperor, the same government that put Jesus to death, is now sending a delegation with his mom at the lead to consecrate the ground that a Jewish peasant walked on? Something happened. Something happened. How could a dead believe whatever you want to believe about him, Jesus, lead to that? If Jesus of history was just a dead do-gooder, then history doesn't make any sense to me. But what if? What if Luke's telling the truth? What if he's telling the truth? What if these things happen? What if God kept his promise? Well, if the God of Israel kept his promise, the kingdom of God is near. If God kept his promise, 
The kingdom of God is near. And most of us in this room, we've seen it. And I've seen it in some tough places. I used to work on 11, at uh, a gospel mission on 11th and Franklin in Minneapolis before the facelift. The place looks a lot better now than when I was there when the corner store couldn't sell rubbing alcohol because people were drinking it. You know, and it was, it's changed a lot. I worked there. I've been in a West Texas federal prison visiting. <laughs> you ever been in a West Texas federal prison? That's a tough place. They got five, six, seven Chuck Norrises at every entrance. It's just tough. I serve on the board of a children's home in Juarez, Mexico, where war broke out several years ago. And for a stretch, for a period of time, it, was, it had the highest murder rate in the world. I served there. I've been to Haiti. It is the poorest nation in our hemisphere. And here's what I want to tell you. I haven't seen myth Jesus in any of those places. I haven't seen believe whatever you want to believe about him, Jesus, changing any lives in those places. None. Zero. Who wants to hear about that? I don't want to hear about that. I'm not going to give my life to believe whatever you want because it might make you feel good, Jesus. It'll make you feel warm and fuzzy inside, Jesus. It gives you hope in a hopeless world, I want the real thing. These people want the real thing. I didn't see myth Jesus there, but let me tell you what I did saw. I saw empty tomb Jesus there, and his words still pierce hearts of stone, and the poor are still coming to him, and lives are changing. And if you don't believe me, go with Tim to Minneapolis. Come with us to Juarez. Join people in prison ministry and look at these hardened criminals who are laying it all down. Gangbangers throwing their colors at the feet of empty tomb, Jesus. Go to Haiti. I'll connect you with this guy who up in the hills, just him and his wife, have started seven schools and are changing lives. Jesus is alive. Empty tomb, Jesus is alive. Myth Jesus, I don't know what to do with that. So as we bring today to a close, if you haven't explored Luke's account, I want to encourage you to do so. We've been looking at it for the last six weeks. You could spend your entire life looking at it. I want to encourage you to do that. Take one of the Bibles we have. I would love, you know, if you will read it, we'll buy you a study Bible, a great study Bible, so you can dig in even deeper. You know? So if, you, if you're not familiar with this account or think, you know what, I'm going to give it a second look, I want to encourage you to do that. Now, for those of us, we've explored it, we believe it's true, then we got a job to do. we got a job to do. Because here's what Jesus says at the end of Luke. Luke 24, start with verse 45. Jesus, as he's about to ascend, he said, Jesus opened their minds. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, it is written... The Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. You are witnesses of these things. Luke kept his promise. He ran his race well. Jesus kept his promise. He ran his race well. God kept his promise. Torch is in our hands. So when we come back together, those of us who are coming back together next week, we're going to pick up right here. How do we do this well? How do we do this well? 
there's so many of us, you know, who have done this not well. How could we do this well? How could we inspire curiosity rather than promoting more cynicism? That's what we want to do as we come back together. So please stand. I want to pray a blessing as we go forth from this place. And I also want to give you an invitation as we do that. When I say amen, that's it. We're done. Service is officially ended. You know, you can go out, grab some cookies, you know, go to your gatherings. We, we want to encourage you to, to do that and to, to, to have a great Easter. But we want to also give you an option. As you go forth on your way out, we're going to have at either side, we want to have our communion service come and get into place. Normally with communion, we have a period of reflection together before we do that, and that's a great thing. Today I want it to be a proclamation. So today as we leave, if you believe Jesus is risen, you believe he's risen indeed, if you if you're today are saying, hey, I... This is true. I want to proclaim that with my life. Then I'd encourage you on your way out, when we say amen, to come down the center aisle, receive communion on the two sides. Also, we have a prayer station too. If you want to pray about anything we talked about today or anything else, there'll be people that would love to pray with you. And the worship band will sing us out. They won't kick you out either. If you want to sing with them, that's all good too. But when I officially say amen, just so there's no looking around going, can we go now? Yeah, you can go now. All right? As soon as we say amen, let's pray. Father, thank you that this can be a happy room. Thank you that it did not end on Friday. Thank you that those of us who are, are dealing with the darkest stuff imaginable or gray or whatever, that we can experience the risen Christ in the midst of anything. So, Father, may we be blessed like that. May we be blessed just as you opened their minds and eyes back then. Open our hearts. Open our minds to the fact that there is an empty tomb, that the rocks are crying out, that he's risen, he is risen indeed. Bless us with that understanding in a fresh new way. Bring us back, God, to next week to, to, to apply this and live this out. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a happy Easter.